So today we are going to celebrate not only the Lord's baptism, but children in our community, their baptism and their entrance into his. And we're all of us going to remember our own baptisms. This, this is a day to recall the revelation of God at the baptism of Jesus. This is a singular moment in Jesus' life, a moment in which the voice of the Father is heard speaking over him, and the Spirit is bodied forth as a dove, settling on Jesus. And in this moment, he is announced as the Son, the Beloved. I think there, there are various ways in which we can misimagine this scene or imagine this scene in ways that are false to it. One is we often imagine, I think, that Jesus is set apart in this moment. But Luke is careful to tell us that Jesus is baptized with everyone else. So when all the people were baptized and Jesus himself is also baptized, then the heavens are opened, the voice of the Father is heard, the body of the Spirit is seen, and Jesus is affirmed in the presence of everyone, with everyone else, that he is the Son, the Beloved. We can imagine it not only as Jesus standing apart physically, but Jesus standing apart spiritually, as if the Father is saying, while Jesus is gathered with everyone else, this is the one I love. And if we're just a touch cynical, we can think, well, of course God loves Jesus. Jesus is God. Of course God loves Jesus. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is mature. Jesus has it all put together. But what's being affirmed in this moment is not that Jesus has it all put together, but that he is a child. This is my son, the beloved, the cherished child, and it's in that that I'm pleased. So what we're, we're encountering in baptism not only the baptism of Jesus, but our own baptism and the baptism of these children we're, we're all baptized today, is that God delights in our childlikeness. As I talked last week, we are called to grow down into childlikeness. And we are, the pressures of this world are constantly pushing us away from that, pushing us toward taking on a certain kind of responsibility that breaks us apart from our past, that separates us from who we were. And again, that's a way of misremembering or misimagining what happens to Jesus at his baptism. We can imagine that this, this crossing of the Jordan or this entrance into the water is for Jesus the end of his childhood and the beginning of his manhood. The end of the innocence of the beginnings of his life and the entrance into the responsibility that he's been called to fulfill. But that is, in fact, a misremembering and a misimagining that Jesus is not more empowered by the Spirit after this moment than he was before, although it is marked differently. And Jesus is not carrying out a different mission after this moment than he was before. This moment is a, an affirmation in front of everyone else, an affirmation in the eyes of all, that God affirms the child Jesus has always been and will always be. And that that childlikeness is what will carry Jesus through to the end. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why? And as Hans Urs von Balthasar, who I'll quote again in a moment, as, as Balthasar has said, that is a child's question. Maybe not your children, but my children love to ask why. I was thinking just last night on another night when our children would not go to bed, that if the disciples in Gethsemane had been more childlike, they wouldn't have been falling asleep when Jesus was in prayer. Right? They should have been more childlike because then they literally could not have fallen asleep. 
But we get mature. We carry responsibilities that are ours to carry, but we carry them in ways that are false to that intimacy with God that's intended for us. And because of that, we fall asleep when we should be awake. And we're awake when we should fall asleep. Because of that, we are taking on responsibilities that are ours in ways that are not true to who God is, and therefore we cannot live in the joy of the Lord. That is our strength. Jesus never forgets that. Jesus never loses touch with that, the fact that he is the child of the Father. And so on the cross, as well as at his baptism, as well as at 12 years old in the temple, as well as a child when the Magi visit, as well as an infant in Mary's arms, Jesus is always yielding himself to the Father. On the cross, he not only asked the child's question, my God, my God, why? He also whispers the child's trust, Father, into your hands. I yield myself. Right? And that, that image of the child finally falling asleep in the arms of the parent, that's what we see on the cross. That's what Jesus is doing. So from A to Z in Jesus' life, he is embodying perfect childlikeness and embodying it for us, making it possible for us to carry that out. I, I promise to quote Balthasar toward the end of his life. Balthasar, if you do, do not know him, very eccentric guy, but one of the leading theologians of the last few generations. And toward the end of his life, he begins to talk more and more about the fact that the call of the Christian life is a call to childlikeness. And in one of the last pieces that he wrote, he gave a long meditation, later published as a book, on what it means to become like the little child that Jesus sets in the midst. And I want to quote just, just a line from it. The lowliness of the child is an image which constantly reminds us of the descent from the adult sovereignty of the grown-up into humble service. Remember last week's language, we grow down into childlikeness. There's a kind of growing up that alienates us from the spirit of Jesus that's in us. So we, we have to recover the lowliness of the child and descend from adult sovereignty down into humble service. When Jesus blesses the children, when he embraces them, he corroborates the affinity between natural childhood and his eternal childhood in relation to the Father. As I mentioned last week in John 1, Jesus is, is the Word made flesh, but the Word is the one who is cradled in the arms of the Father. So the image that we get in John 1 of Jesus eternally, existing as the co-equal, co-eternal Son, is of a child cradled in the lap of the Father, who then becomes a child cradled in the lap of his mother who then becomes a man who cradles children in his lap, who is embodying for us, both as a man and as a child, this perfect childlikeness. The spontaneous attitude of both, Balthasar says, the eternal child and the natural child, is to let another give them all that they are. This is what it means to be a child. Not innocence, but radical dependency. The point here is not to be perfect, to have it all put together. The point is not to be innocent. Listen, children are not innocent. I don't want to spoil anything for you who do not yet have children. They're not innocent. But children are dependent, and they have need without shame. They have need without shame. They're naked and unashamed, and they're needy and unashamed. And that spontaneous attitude is exactly what we need if we're going to recognize that everything we have, we've received from God. Everything we have, we've received from the people of God. God is entrusted to us and us to them. To have him to think for their very existence. 
So Jesus must lead the grown-ups and the mature back to this naive spontaneity without exempting them from their burdensome responsibility. So Jesus is trying to lead us back into childlikeness, to bring us back down into that radical dependence upon God and that neediness without shame that marks the life of the child. But so much of our life pushes against that. And so much of the ways in which we're discipled pushes against that, explicitly and implicitly. Let me me show you a couple of texts that I think make this point. One is Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, if you turn in your Bibles, as we used to say. Baltasar quotes this, this passage. And it's, a, it's striking. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Proverbs 8. And I'll jump just in the middle of the, of the long, long passage. The Lord made me, this is verse 22. The Lord made me at the beginning of his creation before his works of long ago. I was formed before ancient times from the beginning before the earth began. And this, this passage in Proverbs 8 if you take a history, church history class, you'll know that this is one of the most controversial passages in all of Christian scripture because of this statement that in the beginning I was made. And the argument theologically is that this is, a, this is everyone agreed, this is a text about Jesus in some sense, but in what sense was he made in the beginning? And so the argument was, if he's truly of the same essence of the Father, if we believe in God the Trinity, then Jesus the Son is not made as a creature. He's made in some mysterious sense. Right? So again, if you're interested in, in reading more about that, it's, it's easy enough to find work that will explain it. But listen to what happens toward the end of the passage. This is Jesus again speaking about being there with the Father in the beginning. I was there when he established the heavens. When he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above, when the fountain of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the fountains of the earth, verse 30, I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day. Always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the human race. What's, if you have a Bible in front of you, or if you're reading on a screen, you may see a little note at the end of that phrase, I was a skilled craftsman beside him, which indicates that this can actually be translated very differently. It can read, I was a little child beside him. Now, there's, there's a lot of difference between I was a little child beside him and I was a skilled craftsman beside him. And we're not going to delve into the nuances of Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek this morning, but just know that that's, there's a burden on this word in, in antiquity, the word child, that makes it so that it is sometimes indistinguishable from the word servant. And the little child who's delightful precisely because it is dependent When that same word is heard as a reference to servant, it's about skill or mastery. So a delightful servant is one who does the work that needs to be done the way it needs to be done. A delightful child is the one who plays in absolute peace. And in ancient languages, very often, the word for servant and the word for child, or words for servant and words for child, are interchangeable. 
Now that should alert you that we're dealing with a very different imagination than the one we're accustomed to working with. Now, I'm going to come back to Proverbs 8 in a moment. Let's go to Acts 4. You're going to see this same ambiguity again. This is the book of Acts chapter 4. This is a kind of shockwave from Pentecost. The Spirit has been poured out on the disciples gathered in the temple courts, and they have, in the flow of the Spirit, they have healed a man who was at the gate beautiful. And healing this man has caused no end to controversy because they healed him in the name of Jesus. And they've been brought before the authorities and told, don't speak again in the name of Jesus. If you're going to heal people, just do so without referencing Jesus. And the disciples, of course, Peter and John in particular, say, we'll do what we can, but we can't promise you. And then they are sent away back together with the other disciples and listen to what happens. When they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they all raised their voice to God and said, Sovereign Lord, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing, signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they, assembled, where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. In the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Except, as you probably already put together, that also can be translated child. So this passage can read, in the name of your holy child, Jesus, stretch out your hand. Now, there's a lot of difference between your holy servant, Jesus, we hear a lot of difference, between your holy servant, Jesus, and your holy child, Jesus. And what I want to suggest to you is that, that that decision to translate servant where it could be child and master craftsman where it could be little child is a reflection of the bad adulthood, what Baltasar calls the false adulthood, that all of us feel pushed into. That we are constantly thinking, if we want God to work, then we need God to work by us growing up, gritting our teeth, clenching our fists, and doing what adults do. I'm sure you're a better parent than I am. I don't mean that facetiously. I'm sure you are a better parent than I am. Especially if you don't have children yet. But, but I have heard myself say to my children when they are two, three, four, and five, grow up, act your age, and then realizing, oh, wait a minute. What I'm saying to them is act my age. 
Right? When, I'm, when I'm correcting them, which is mostly just you know, me lashing out in my frustration, what I'm saying is act your age, but what I mean is act my age. Act the age I expect you to be so that I'm at ease. I'm delivered from the responsibility of caring for you. Nothing is more childish than what a parent says when a child is being childlike. And so what Jesus shows us is perfect childlikeness. There is responsibility. He's fulfilling the call of God, but he's fulfilling the call of God by remaining rooted in the delight he has with the Father. But we are constantly feeling as if we have to reject that and get serious. We feel this every time we read somebody who's wrong on the internet. Right? You, you, see, you see somebody has said something that's just absolutely asinine, and the grown-up in you says, well, I'll fix that. When the proper response is childlike hilarity, like, oh my God, <laughs> like bless their hearts, right? Like, can you believe it? it's cute, right? In the way in which, you know, when your children mix things up when they're, talk, you know, when they're talking and you delight in it, like, don't, don't fix it. I want them to say that. I want them to get this wrong, right? We have to learn to engage those who are wrong around us in that same spirit. Like, isn't it cute? Isn't that so cute? And I don't mean that in a condescending way. We have to learn to feel that kind of delight in the way that a father delights in a son, in the way that a mother delights in a son, that, isn't, that doesn't feel that pressure of false adulthood to fix everything. Several years ago, I was teaching a class with Ricky Moore, whom I want to share a story about him in a moment, a mentor of mine. And we were teaching a class and talking specifically about the Trinity, Trinity in Scripture. And I was sharing, quite frustrated, with somebody who was wrong about the Trinity. And the person who was wrong, I won't name, name him, but as a theologian who had made the argument that the reason God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit is that the Father-Son relationship is the most intimate relationship possible. So here I am lecturing to these students, and I'm in my false adulthood mode, and I am just letting this theologian have it for that mistake. Just, I mean, let it, you're peeling the paint off the walls with, how mistaken do you have to be? How deluded do you have to be to imagine that the reason God takes the language of father and son is because that's the most intimate relationship possible? I still think he's wrong. And if you catch me on the wrong day, you might catch a little bit of that false adulthood. But in the middle of that, I turned and Ricky is crying. And I knew enough to stop. And then Ricky says to me in front of everyone else, he says, I don't know why God took father-son language. But if there is any reason, it would be because it's the most broken relationship. Not because it's the most intimate now, do you hear the imagination there and the different spirit in which that mistake was engaged? But I, I think that he's also touching something else, and that is part of the reason we move into false adulthood is that we don't know how to be reconciled to our own painful pasts as children. Part of the reason we try to act more mature than we can, in fact, be, we try to get serious is that we were never really at home in being children in the first place. Never really at ease with being a child. And then we, we have this awkward relationship not only to our parents 
and grandparents and all that's come before us, but also to our own past selves, to our own childhood. So a few years after that, Ricky shared this story with me. So Ricky, is a, as you can tell from that story, is a, is a deeply mystical man, right? He's, he's not pretentious, it, it, at least I've never seen the pretension, maybe he grew out of it before I met him, but just, if you, if you met him and didn't know him well, you wouldn't get a sense of this, but if, if you did know him well, you would start to see that these, he's had this very intimate walk with God and had seasons of his life in which God's presence was unbelievably near to him. He shared this story with me in the middle of me kind of unburdening with him that he had had a season like that in which it felt like God was near him, speaking to him every moment of every day. And then suddenly it stops. And for months and then for years, he feels only the absence of God. God doesn't speak. God is not present. God is not moving or touching him in any way. And so one day, he is sitting with a friend of his in his house. His grandkids are there playing. Ricky is sitting with his friend. And Ricky is unburdening to his friend about the pain of this sense of God's absence, the sense of being left alone by God. And this friend turned to Ricky and says, do you see your granddaughter there? Called her by name. Do you see her? Yeah. He said, what's she doing? She's playing with Legos. He's like, does she seem uneasy? No, she's, she's caught up. She's having fun. She's like, don't you realize that just because God is not in your face and you're not in his doesn't mean he's not delighting in you? That sometimes what you need is to just go over in the corner and play with Legos. You don't need to have a serious talk with God. And so Ricky, for years, carried that Lego with him in his pocket as a reminder that God delights in you no less when you're in the corner playing Legos than he does when you're teaching students or preaching scripture or offering advice. And so, I'm almost done. What I want you to hear this morning, what I think God wants you to hear is, stop letting yourself believe that God delights in you only if you're a skilled craftsman or only if you're a servant. The most important work God will do in you, you won't notice. And the most important work you're going to do for God, you won't know you're doing it. It will come when you get in touch with your child, the child that is in you, that is Jesus in you, and relax into that playfulness. When you stop trying to be the grown-up sovereign who's going to fix everything, and you just rest in the arms of the God who rests in the arms of his mother. When you come to that place of peace. When you realize that creation was play. Did you hear that in Proverbs? I want to read this and get out of the way. We've got some children to baptize. Listen to this again. Proverbs Chapter 8. I was there when he established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, 
when he placed the skies above, when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit on the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the fountains of the earth, I was a little child beside him. I was his delight every day and always rejoicing before him. This is the way we participate in the work of Jesus. Not by getting everything into our grip and fixing it, but by playing in the presence of the God who creates from nothing, without violence, simply by speaking the word. And that is what we're about to encounter. In just a moment, we're going to bring babies forward and we're going to anoint them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We're going to baptize babies before they even know what's happening to them. And I grew up in a church where that would have been scandalous. Because whether we realize it or not, we believe that what saves you is growing up and making good choices. And the most important good choice you can make is choose to follow Jesus. And I've got good news for you this morning. It's not the choice you make for Jesus that saves you. It's the fact that he chose you before you knew to reach for him. He knows you. He hunted you down. He caught you up in his arms before you knew what was happening. There's grace that is sustaining your life. And every good choice you make, you should laugh at yourself because that's just God's goodness working through you in spite of you. And it's when you feel like you've got it most in control that you're furthest from his spirit. And it's when you realize that God, if it weren't for you, everything would be coming apart precisely because I would be breaking it apart. But in him, we live and move and have our being. When we're caught up in his arms doing nothing but delighting in him, we're being touched in the deepest places of our souls. So what's going to happen in just a moment is not only a a moment for these children that they'll grow into the rest of their lives, it's a moment for our community. It's a moment for us to remember What makes us who we are is the fact that God has made us and delights in us, not because we're servants, not because we're master craftsmen, but because we are little children, unashamed of our need. Amen.